Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program brought to you by Radio New Zealand Sport. This week we begin the countdown to next year's Cricket World Cup. The former India cricket captain Sunil Gavaskar reflects on his country's tour of New Zealand and Corey Anderson speaks about his selection for the Indian Premier League. The All Whites interim coach Neil Emblem explains why he picked Glenn Moss as captain. From the Sochi Winter Olympics, the New Zealand free skier Jossie Wells looks ahead to the halfpipe, and the Tongan Luge star Bruno Banani evaluates his first winter games. The five-time coast-to-coast winner Richard Usher prepares for another shot at the title, and the Northern Mystics netball coach Debbie Fuller gets ready for another season of Trans-Tasman netball. Countdown from six, five, four, three, That's the sound of celebration as the official clock started its countdown to the 2015 Cricket World Cup. A year from now, the first over will be bowled in the New Zealand and Australian co-hosted event. New Zealand will take on Sri Lanka and Christchurch in the first match, with Australia facing England later the same day across the Tasman. The organiser of the Cricket World Cup, Theresa Walsh, spoke to Morning Report's Simon Mercer. We start in Christchurch. We just a few minutes ago heard how um, the question's being asked down there. Will the city be ready? Will it? Look, I think Christchurch will be well placed to host these opening game, the opening game and, and other matches in the Cricket World Cup. I mean, I was down at the Restart Mall yesterday with a whole lot of our cricket legends uh, and the Mayor unveiling the countdown clock and there was a huge crowd there, an enormous amount of enthusiasm. And what I said to the crowd was that you know, around the world, as we work through the process of match allocation from the ICC, member nations, our Australian co-hosts, there was a huge amount of support for, for starting this tournament in Christchurch and for Christchurch having some great matches. Well, this, this, Therese Watts, the support may well be there, but specifically, will the, first of all, the Hagley Park, the upgrade, will it, be, will it be ready in time? Look, Hagley Park will absolutely be ready in time. It's, it's well underway now in terms of the redevelopment. And what I was going to say before is that um, the, the, the international support uh, is there and it realises that there might be some things in Christchurch that aren't quite finished or aren't quite ready and that there will be some um, different circumstances, but they're really willing to embrace that. Okay, does that cover uh, accommodation? We, you know, people being billeted or staying in motorhomes, for example? Yes, look, we're working with Christchurch in terms of options around accommodation and what we're doing at the moment is just making sure that we can get the critical groups that need to be into Christchurch in there. So, for example, the teams, the match officials, the broadcasters, etc. So I'm encouraging anyone that really has that official role to play in the tournament to get in and make sure that they get the appropriate accommodation. But outside of that, I've talked to a number of New Zealanders who are going to travel to that match and they're staying with friends and family, so we'll come up with a lot of creative options to let that happen. What's what's your target as in terms of a, an economic benefit from these these uh, the Cricket World Cup for New Zealand? Well, look, there's been economic impact reports done, and, and, and as with these things, it's always a guesstimate. But, um, you know, it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars of economic impact. And, and for a city like Christchurch, I'm sure it will be quite significant. So we've had the uh, the official clock starting, the countdown starting. What else would be happening over the next 12 months to promote this event? 
Well, we've, we've got a couple of things lined up over the winter, but we'll really be starting um, in a full-on way next cricket season, so from about the beginning of October. And one of the, the key things we'll be doing around the world and in Australia and New Zealand concurrently is a trophy tour. So taking the Cricket World Cup trophy, which is a very beautiful trophy, around the country and engaging with fans, as we did yesterday with the countdown clocks. We've also got Sri Lanka touring New Zealand, and there'll be other teams that want to come into the country, get used to us, get used to our facilities, and, and the venues and uh, and prepare. So there'll be a lot going on. India arrived in New Zealand, the leading one-day team in the world and the second-highest test cricket side. But after losing the one-day series 4-0 to the lowly-ranked Black Caps, they've lost the number one spot and now have a tenuous hold on the number two test ranking following their defeat by New Zealand in the first test. The Black Caps can wrap up their summer with a second test series win should they at least draw the second match in Wellington. Stephen Hewson spoke to the former India captain Sunil Gavaskar about how the Indian tour has unfolded. It's been disappointing, disappointing from the Indian point of view because uh, we came uh, here as the number one team in the world in one day cricket and uh, to lose 4-0 uh, showed how New Zealand dominated uh, that uh, one day series. I also believe that that's really not a true reflection of the quality of the Indian side. Uh, but uh, New Zealand totally outplayed uh, India in, in the, in the one-day series. And I think feeding from the confidence of that, New Zealand were also able to do very well in that first test because they were in trouble at 30 for 3, but it's it just that you know they believed that you know they, they could turn things around and that's what happened. And uh, so India now find it themselves in, in the situation of trying to avoid uh, a, a mini whitewash because it's just a two-test series, not a three or four or five-test series. Which areas have particularly disappointed you? I think it's 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 generally the, the, the batting because the batting's always been the strength of uh, the Indian team over the years and the batting actually just didn't uh, quite uh, click. Uh, the bowlers did a reasonable job uh, under the circumstances uh, but I think it's the batting that really was, uh, was disappointing. Be you able to pinpoint why that might be? I mean, India's come here. Was there a lack of a sense of urgency about what's needed? No, I think I think uh, credit to where credit is due, and I think New Zealand bowled really well. Um, and I think what New Zealand have found in the last couple of years really has been good all-rounders, and that that is giving them a terrific balance, in, 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 you know, to their team. And uh, if you find quality all-rounders, it actually uh, gives the captain a lot more flexibility because he can either go in with an extra batsman in a one-day side or, or, or an extra bowler. And uh, New Zealand has been able to do that in, this, in, in the one-day series as well as the test matches because they've found a couple of quality all-rounders. There's Kane Williamson, who's a, who's a world-class batsman, uh, but who also bowls pretty handy off-spin, and he picks wickets at uh, crucial times. And there's uh, Corey Anderson, who's developing very well as an all-rounder. And I think uh, um, young Nisham is uh, waiting in the wings. Uh, so... I, I think in, in, in the next year, with, with the more experience that these guys get, New Zealand's going to be a really formidable unit uh, for the World Cup 2015. India's struggled overseas, England, South Africa, Australia. Um, how will this go down with Indian cricket supporters back home? Well, fortunately what happens is that there's so much cricket that India is all the time playing that the results are quickly forgotten. Um, India go back uh, maybe on the 19th or the 20th of February, and in a couple of days, they'll be off to play the Asia Cup. And the Asia Cup starts, and once the Asia Cup starts, you know, results in New Zealand will be forgotten by the, by the majority. Hopefully, the, the, uh, the powers that be, that is the selection committee, will have had a look at the performances, the approach, attitude of some of the players, and uh, keep that in mind for future selection.
you, you think the right players are there, though? Yes, yes, I think so. I don't think there's uh, there's much wrong as far as the selection is concerned. We, uh, but there are times, you know, when you want to give a break to a particular player. Uh, I think uh, a break away from the uh, national team can actually make you that much more hungry to come back. So there are certain players who who may be uh, better off being left out of the out of the squad, and uh, you know, they gives them time to introspect, gives them gives them time to work on what they think has gone wrong and come back better players. That was Sunny Gavaskar talking to Stephen Hewson. Having scored the world's fastest one-day century earlier this summer, New Zealand cricketer Corey Anderson has now scored himself an Indian Premier League contract worth almost a million dollars. The big-hitting all-rounder was bought for $867,000 by the defending champions, the Mumbai Indians. Anderson says watching the auction process unfold was nerve-wracking. Yeah, it's a pretty surreal feeling, to be honest. Um, you know, sort of in the whole scheme of things, you've still got to focus on, I guess, this test match as well that we've got on tomorrow. But, I mean, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy night last night. And, um, yeah, nerves were, I guess, flowing. And watching guys get picked up and watching some guys, I guess, not as well, was, it was a, a strange feeling. But you've got, to, at least you'll have some familiar faces over at the Mumbai setup, is that right? Yeah, yeah, got Roddy over there. So, um, yeah, I guess it's nice to, I haven't seen him in a long time. So, it'd be nice to obviously catch up with him. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess there's going to be a few New Zealanders floating around in the, in, in the competition. And how do you feel about the dollar amount? I mean, obviously it must be a huge boost to your bank account, but does it, is it, how does it feel to be going for that sort of money? Yeah, I, I, I can't say it's sunk in yet. I mean, it's, it still sort of just looks like a number on the screen kind of thing. So... Um, yeah, yeah. I guess once it happens, I'm, I'm sure I'll be ecstatic. But at, at the moment, it's just exciting to, I guess, I guess have that value about you. It's quite cool. Do you have any inkling that any of the sides were interested in you? Have you spoken to anybody? Uh, not really. I mean, you always sort of hear rumours floating around that, that teams are interested and they'll, they'll bid on you. But I mean, that's that's all speculation that happens. You know, You've, as you saw, the auctions are a bit of a circus, and, and you don't know what guys are going to get. And um, some guys who you think will go big don't even get picked up. So. Um, yeah, it was. I guess I was in as much unknown as everyone else. How important is it then for you that you're going to be with John Wright, uh, somebody you know, uh, rather than perhaps a, a newer coach? Yeah, I guess, it, I guess it's nice to have that uh, familiarity to, to Wrighty and, uh, and sort of know how he works a little bit as well. So I guess he knows me as a, as a player as well. And I guess the last time you saw me, I probably developed a little bit more. But um, no, it'll be nice to have him in the, in the setup as well. So it's, I guess it's something that you can go to as well. What a- have you taken a moment to think about that morning walk or afternoon walking out onto the Queenstown pitch and how, you know, at that stage you had no idea that the next half an hour was going to completely change your life? Yeah, it's not really, to be honest. It's one of those things that, uh, you know, people say you've had a, a pretty good year, but it's, it's more been sort of the last couple of months that have been, I guess, um, uh, pretty good. And um, I guess that's, that's caused all the, the havoc about what sort of happened. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange feeling to think that, I guess, one event like that can can change a lot and, and I guess people start talking about you. Is it sort of strange, almost embarrassing that people have a min- money figure on your head, you know? Yeah, it is. It's strange. I mean, it's never happened before. I don't, it feels like you are putting a value on yourself and um, people want you and you're obviously expected to do things now for, for that kind of money, you know? It feels like you're a house and someone sort of wants to, I guess, move in. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's very strange and I'm, I'm sure it'll sink in at some stage, but for now it's, it's, uh, it's still up in the air a little bit and, you know, this test match is still my main focus. Pretty amazing teammates yeah, over there too. Is it Vasek Malinga, oh, uh, Rohit Sharma? Is he captain? Yeah, he's captain. Yeah. So you can probably get a chance to have a word to him. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, that's the other thing. You've got to look at the experience of it all and rubbing sho
and Pollard and um, and I guess maybe even if Tendulkar sort of floats around the group as well, obviously that was his his franchise. So um, you know, it's, it's it's crazy to think that you might be able to talk to those guys and I guess get a little bit of knowledge. Have they told you much about, or anybody you spoke to as a player, told you much about the experience of the IPL and how different it is from regular cricket? Yeah, they've said it's it's way different. You know, you you're basically there for for cricket and marketing. That's basically what you're there for. So. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm expecting that to sort of happen, but it's it's all exciting. You know, it's not going to be like a, a typical sort of competition that you go to. You know, it's going to be a lot more hype, a lot more people watching it, and obviously the value on you makes you makes you a bit of a different case. So, no, I'm, I'm excited for it, and obviously, yeah, like I've said, the the uh, 2020 World Cup and, and this test is what I'm looking forward to. Corey Anderson was the most expensive of the five New Zealanders picked up in the IPL auction. The Black Caps captain Brendan McCullum attracted the next biggest sum bought by the Chennai Super Kings for $630,000. The Wellington Phoenix goalkeeper Glenn Moss will captain the All Whites in their football friendly against Japan in Tokyo next month. Moss was awarded the captain's armband this week with Winston Reid remaining in England as he makes his return from an ankle injury. Neil Emblem has been named interim coach as New Zealand football continues its search for a replacement for Ricky Herbert. Barry Guy spoke with Emblem, who says the selection of Moss as captain was an easy one. I think it's great for Glenn. I think it's the perfect time of uh, his career. He's having a great season at the moment. And, um, yeah, I think it's perfect time for him to lead the team. He's uh, been rooming with uh, the godfather, Ivan Vesilic, for a long time, so I'm sure a lot of his influence would have rubbed off on Glenn. And uh, I think that... Uh, you know, this game especially, it's a, a perfect opportunity for him. Uh, did you have a chat at all with uh, Winston? Uh, yeah, I have, yeah, I have. Um, you know, he's been um, put back into the team very slowly and very gently by West Ham. He's obviously a massive player for them, and we've seen the results, uh, well, it's picked up lately since he's been back on the subs bench. But, uh, you know, whilst he's been injured, they've struggled badly, and... Uh, you know, he's a huge part of, of uh, Wednesday, uh, their, their relegation battle. And um, we just felt it was the right thing that, that you know, with the uh, next really competitive game being uh, a, a little bit of time away, that, that you know, he uh, stayed and uh, concentrated on uh, trying to keep uh, West Ham in the Premier League. Uh, you've named six players from the junior all-white side from last year. That just an obvious progression for them? Yeah, look, there's seven in the squad that can actually play in the next Olympics. So, uh, you know, they're, they're they're all deserving of their opportunity. Though I don't think it's um, you know I don't think it's out there that that you know that that people are in uh, just because they're young. I think they're all deserving of the opportunity. Uh, two that obviously we don't see as much of is is Cam Harrison and Tim Payne, but they're both playing in the under 21 stroke reserve leagues in in, in England and playing against good players that are coming back from injury and good young players. Uh, at a high level, so um, and they're pretty versatile. Those two, they, those two, because we're a little bit light defensively, um, with only picking five defenders. Um, Tim Payne can can be an emergency right back, and, and Cam can be an emergency left back. So they're in there a little bit as well for their versatility, as well as uh, as being young and, and good future players for New Zealand. Of course, with your uh, history with the Olympic teams and the likes. Is this Neil Emblem's team moving forward? Is it? Well, you, look, I've, I'm, I'm just trying to do the best I can for one game. You know, I've been told I, I'm, I'm in charge for one game. Uh, it's a brilliant opportunity against a, a, an unbelievable um, football nation. You know, they're fantastic. I've been lucky enough to play in Tokyo at the stadium twice uh, in Club World Cups for Waitakere. 
and uh, I've coached there once as well with with the uh, Olympic team on the way en route to the Olympics. So, you know, I know how passionate the Japanese are and, and how into their football are and, and, and uh, what a good nation they are uh, football-wise. So it's just a good opportunity for me for one game. I want to do the best I can uh, by all of these players and, and make my own little mark. But also it's just for, for the future, just to, to, to be always be endorsed by New Zealand football when there's opportunities. So, um, you know, I'm just trying to do the best I can. And obviously I'm honoured, absolutely honoured and privileged to do it. Uh, so, you know, the, the full-time job in the back of your mind? Well, yeah, look, I, I'd, you never say never. You know, I'd have been quite happy um, being um, being an assistant for another cycle, World Cup cycle. And, you know, you, you never know when you're ready. Sometimes people get chucked in and given opportunities and they grab it, you know, could that be my chance? You never know. But, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I feel that I'm excited about this opportunity and I feel I can do a good job. And, uh, and it's just, uh, um, we'll wait and see beyond this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not counting any chickens and uh, I'm just want to do the best job I can and, and buy this bunch of players and, and, and have a good time doing it as well and just enjoy that, that situation. I've been lucky enough to have some great roles already with New Zealand football with assisting uh, Ricky and, and uh, taking the boys to the London Olympics. So, um, you know, this is, this is another opportunity that I'm uh, privileged to get and I want to do the best job I can just for this one game. You've got uh, Marco Rojas back playing. How's he doing? Yeah, Marco's had a stop-start season. He's got a little bit of a, a niggly injury and uh, obviously he got injured. At, he, he broke his foot at the start of the... as soon as he went to Stuttgart, near enough in his first game. So he's, he's had stop-start and... Um, Sort of year so far, but you know he's a. Let's not forget he's a massive club, a brilliant football nation in Germany, and and it's tough to get in a side like Stuttgart. So he's not nailed that yet. But as we've seen uh, with Marco, he's a brilliant young talent. Uh, we want to see him in an all-white shirt as much as we can, in my opinion. And uh, this is another great game for him to re-establish himself. And it might just come at a time where it will give Marco a bit more confidence uh, to go back to his club and and and. Um, you know, show the German public that he's he's uh, worthy of being at such a great club. That was the All Whites interim coach Neil Emblem talking to Barry Guy. The New Zealand Winter Olympic medal hopeful Jossie Wells has failed to deliver a medal in the men's free ski slope style. The world number four finished in 11th place overall. Joe Leafsley spoke to Jossie Wells, who says he's now turning his attention to the halfpipe. I came into today with the result in mind of what I wanted to accomplish, the runs I wanted to land, and it didn't work out for me today, which is definitely a bit disappointing. But, you know, make it to the Olympic finals and be up the top with 12 of my good mates and representing the sport to the, the general public was definitely a pretty cool feeling. And what about your nerves, given the fact that you were going all out for a medal? Did they hold? My nerves weren't too bad. You know, I was, I was pretty much just in the zone of wanting to ski and, and land the runs that I wanted to land. Um, and, you know, the nature of the sport is that it doesn't happen every single time. It's, uh, it's not super, super consistent. Today wasn't my day, and I didn't, didn't land the runs that I had planned. Uh, but I, I don't think it was to do with any nerves or anything. Do you think it had something more to do with, say, tactics? Uh, no, nothing to do with tactics. It's uh, just, just came unstuck on the rails and um, messed up from there, and then the run was pretty much over from there. I had the right tactics, you know. I, I didn't go into, into the finals trying to... You know, land a mediocre run and come seventh or sixth place. You know, I went in there to, to go all out and get on the podium, and it didn't work out for me. Now, your brother Bo's also been competing, and I hear that he landed a brand new trick. 
yes, he did land a new track, but he learned it just yesterday. Uh, he skied really well, and we're both really looking forward to half-pipe uh, next weekend. Right, so that's the, the next goal for, for you guys, is, is the half-pipe. Are you confident that this time you might get a medal? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to go in with the same mindset into half-pipe, and just to go ski my very best, that's our main goal, just to ski the best we can. The Tongan Luge star Bruno Banani says it's taken a lot of sacrifice to achieve his goal of competing at the Winter Olympics. The 25-year-old became the kingdom's first Winter Olympian after securing his qualification last month. In 2008, the former university student and rugby player was selected by the German underwear manufacturer Bruno Banani to change his name and to take up the sport as part of a marketing stunt. He told Vinnie Wiley he's happy with his performance at the Games. My goal was to, to be in the top 30. I knew for sure it would be hard for me to get to the top 30, but I, I had to set a goal and fight for it. I end up in the 30 seconds play, so I'm satisfied. Also, my coach is also happy about it, so for me it's a success. You mentioned how emotional it was to carry the country's flag out at the opening ceremony. What was it like as you were sort of lining up, getting ready to compete? I felt a little bit of uh, pressure, of course. Uh, it's my first Olympic race, and um, but I did very well. I think I coped with the situation okay. I, I had a really good run. It was the, the best run that I ever had compared to my training run time. And uh, now that you've completed your competition, all that hard work, you can finally relax and enjoy your time. You've got a, a bit of time in Sochi now in the Athletes' Village and, and around. I mean, what, what are you hoping to, to do over the next week now that you don't have to worry about training and, and, and competition uh, up until that closing ceremony? Just going to relax. Uh, I've never been to any other sport to watch uh, in winter game, so uh, I'm just going to look around. Um, maybe I'm going to also watch uh, ice hockey games I've never been to. I hope that it's really great to be there. And um, of course, the plan for the future might be, I'm not sure yet, um, if going to continue on with this luge or... I uh, also thinking of uh, bobsled, but uh, yeah, uh, I haven't really made a decision yet. So you've uh, you've caught the Winter Olympics bug well and truly. Then uh, you know, thinking about potentially 2018, you, you've obviously you know really enjoying that experience. The night when I woke in uh, the opening ceremony, the the feeling was just amazing. It was incredible, and um, uh, I think on that night I was already thinking I, I would love to to walk in again in um, in the opening ceremony in the next Winter Olympics. So. But like I said before, I think now just um, rest and um, think of it um, carefully and, and see what will come. The idea of bobsled, is that, is, is, is that sort of the idea behind that sort of a new challenge? Obviously, you know, another thing to try and achieve? Yeah, uh, because uh, um, so many uh, people in the luge family, they also um, support me, like um, pushing me. If you stop doing luge, then I'll try also bobsled because, um, you know, I, I, now I almost know all the luge track, which is the same as for the bob. So, again, I only need some strong and fast guys on Tonga to push the sled, the, the top sled, and then we slide down. But uh, it's only uh, an idea, and um, but we will see. Uh, I think everything will just all depend on um, money, if it's possible, then we will, I, I guess it won't be um, hard to do it if we have this financial support. Is it back to Germany at this point? You're still based over there? Yeah, after the Games, uh, I was back in Germany uh, for a few days there, a few weeks, I think, and then um, I'm off to Tonga. I'm really um, looking forward to be back in Tonga to see my family. 
And uh, do you have any message for the people of Tonga? Obviously, um, your story and uh, your sort of achievements have, um, you know, really uh, struck a chord there, and they're all yeah. very proud of you. I imagine you've had plenty of messages. What, what would you say to the people back home? I just want to, to say um, thank you for all, for everyone, every Tonga and non-Tonga, because I receive messages from all around the world, um, how proud they are and what I do. I just want to thank the royal family, the princess, um, you know, the, all the support and everything. All the Tonga and everywhere, just, I just don't um, have the right word to say thank you to them. Thanks for keeping me in their prayers and um, wishing me luck all the time and I just did the, the best that I could, and um, hopefully that everyone is um, satisfied with it. But like I said, uh, let's um, rest for now and see what's coming next for Tonga in the next Winter Olympics. That was Bruno Banani talking to Vinnie Wiley. He once represented New Zealand at the Winter Olympics, but now Richard Usher is better known as the five-time winner of the Coast to Coast. He's lining up for another shot at New Zealand's most gruelling multi-sport event this weekend alongside his wife, Alina, who's chasing her third title. The couple compete together in adventure racing all over the world, but it was on the ski slopes that Richard first discovered his taste for competition. Straight after school, my first thing, I was a freestyle skier and went to the Winter Olympics in Nagano, Japan in uh, 1998. And um, after that, I was just really... um, had a bit of a loose end and, and looking for, I guess, another challenge. And I saw the Coast to Coast on TV and saw Steve Gurney sort of running across the island and paddling across the island and thought it looked like um, a suitable sort of challenge. So I uh, went and found somewhere I could hire a kayak and got back into some running and, and biking and uh, and it all went from there, really. After that, I ended up doing a little bit of venture racing. I got picked up by Nathan Fave's Seagate Adventure Racing Team in 2003 and um, and ever since then really I've been full-time professional. I've sort of done a variety of the different sports. I haven't sort of just stuck to, to one race or one form but I've, I've sort of dabbled a bit in, in the Ironman as well and um, and just really looked for, for challenges um, wherever I can find them. You don't look at the Winter Olympics in Sochi at the moment and, and, and wish you were there? Yeah, I sort of, I've done my winter time and uh, I'm much happier in the, in the sun now. When I was skiing, I think I did 10 or 11 winters back-to-back, and I think I'm up to about 15 summers back-to-back now, so I, I think I'm enjoying that a little bit more. Oh, I can totally understand that. Okay. <laughs> Just looking at, at your career, you, you've been all over the world. You've had great success in, in events in some of the most obscure places, but tell me, are there any of them that really stand out? Which are the most memorable? Probably the... Abu Dhabi Adventure Challenge stands out as um, just a, a pretty incredible place to, to go, very, very different. And it was the, the first big race that we won with our own adventure racing team. So my wife, Alina, is also a racer. and So she was racing on, on that team as well. And then pretty much we had to finance the race on our credit cards and, uh, and the house was pretty much on the line. So there was a bit of extra pressure there as well. Uh, the world champs that were in 2006 were in Norway and Sweden. I mean, it was just an incredible course. We had a whole lot of sections on glaciers and we got to kayak in the archipelago with the, the northern lights sort of going off above us and whales all around. And it was a race where it didn't really matter at what stage we were at. It was um, There were just sort of incredible things happening all around us. So, so that was a real standout as well. Now looking at your bio, I see you're, you're 37 now. Are you starting to come to the end of your career, do you think, or how much longer will you will you have left? Well, I'm definitely 
closer to the end than I am to the beginning of it, that's for sure. Um, but, I mean, to be honest, in the endurance sport, you know, you can probably keep going to your early 40s, but um, we're sort of looking at things that we can do when our careers do come to an end. Uh, so we're sort of starting to put things in place now for that. But uh, exactly when that happens, uh, I, I'm not 100% sure. Oh, well, you don't need to think about that now. What you do need to focus on is perhaps this year's Coast to Coast. You've won the event how many times so far? Five times so far. So. And Alina's won it a couple of times as well, hasn't she? She has, yeah. So never gets any easier, that race. And uh, it's almost uh, what's an 11-hour day for me and probably a 12-and-a-half-hour day for Alina. So you've got to sort of keep your, your head down all day and, and sort of have a little bit of luck that you, you, know, you don't twist an ankle or, or sort of have a mechanical on the bike or anything like that. But, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely both be... Uh, hoping for it for the best race we can uh, next Saturday. How have you been preparing? Um, yeah, the preparation seems to have gone pretty well. I actually did challenge Wanaka three weeks ago, which is a, a nine-distance race down in Wanaka, and that was sort of a little bit of a different build-up for, for me, having having such a big race so close. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I'm not 100% sure whether it was a, a really good thing or, a, or or maybe a slightly bad thing, but uh, you will find out uh, once we hit the run, I'd say, on uh, in the coast race. Have you spent any time on the coast course prior to the race, or will you just go there fresh? We've managed to get down there for a, a couple of weekends and had a had a run through both the, the run and the paddle. The, the sort of the technical elements of the race mean that it is definitely... Um, a bit of an advantage to get down there and be able to have a look through the course. That was the multi-sport athlete Richard Usher. The coach of the Northern Mystics says the key to trans-Tasman netball success is the ability to withstand the pressure over the four-month competition. Debbie Fuller is back with the franchise after taking a year out last year when the Mystics had a dismal season coming dead last. All ten teams are involved in the official pre-season tournament in Melbourne this weekend before the competition starts on March the 1st. While the Central Pulse and Southern Steel might be seen as New Zealand's best finals contenders, Fuller told Bridget Tunnicliffe every team is a threat. Yeah, Tactics um, took the Steel out last weekend in the pre-season game. So uh, the thing about the competition is um, the level of competitiveness within the teams is growing every year. Um, every team's going to be tough. And again, it's a different type of competition to one-off test matches. It's a, you know, three to four months um, going through peaks and troughs of performance and being able to um, front up and be consistent every week is usually what separates, you know, the good teams from the great teams. So we're just wanting to be consistent and we're wanting to execute accurately um, and that's one of the focus for the team going into this weekend in Melbourne. And there's been quite a bit of player movement in the, the Australian teams. Uh, could that change the landscape a bit, um, uh, the balance of power over there, do you think? Um, I think the Fever have recruited well this season. They've um, brought in the Firebirds front line of Methurst and Pittman um, to support Bassett in the back. So they'll be strong. It'll be good to see how that connection works in Melbourne. Um, the Vixens uh, have been one of the most consistent teams to keep their roster. The Swifts have, have again recruited well with Swates and Shani Layton going into their mix. So um, I think that it'll be, because there has been a lot of player movement, it'll be about which uh, group uh, 
you know, which group of players are prepared to put aside what, you know, their own agendas and play together as a team that will uh, force connections. So then we'll see which one of those connections comes out on, on top and can um, withstand the pressure of the competition. Bailey Mess was very impressive last year when she got opportunities at goal shoot. Do you think there will be a genuine battle between her and Catherine Latu for that position? Um, at the moment, Bailey's managing her ACL injury back, so the priority for her is to regain the confidence that she had, uh, that she finished with last season. Um, she's been hugely diligent and uh, committed to her rehab program, so we have seen great gains. So in terms of her coming back on the court, we're just managing the amount of contesting work she can do at the moment. So hopefully she will um, get out on court soon. I know she's itching to get out there, um, so we'll just manage that progress as we go. But Bailey Mess at full fitness, she'll really push Catherine Latu for that spot, do you think? Um, I think between what I what the fortunate thing we have got in the team is we've got three different shooters that play the different styles in each different position. Maria's a different goal shoot to Catherine, Bailey's a different goal attack. Catherine, um, we put out a goal attack as well the other day and you know, her ball distribution from distance is Interesting and good, and um, I think the fact that we've got uh, mobility when we put Bailey in there, we've got you know Maria is a long shot, accurate shooter. Um, when Catherine moves, um, when her pre movement's really strong off a holding goal keep, she can you know turn defenders' heads really quickly. So we have got three very complementary styles, and we will play according to the opposition and which combination connects. And Laura Langman, her impact, is she the kind of player that makes other players around her play better? Um, I, well, she she herself is a great player. Um, you know, she because she has she's at the the point in her career where she had her game intelligence is extremely high, and she's combining that with um, conditioning that can withstand um, you know most other opposition centres she really works extremely hard to keep improving her game and keep extending her game both on attack and defence does she make other people look good I think you know netball's a team sport it's about the whole team looking good together so it's not to have one individual you know some teams will most teams will probably plan to try and eliminate Laura as much as possible to reduce their feeding and to um, get her distracted on defence. So when, when you have players that have a high work rate like that, everybody around them has to step up and when, when things like that happen on court. So um, I just we, we're just great to have her. We admire the fact that she's gone out of her comfort zone and, and come to the Mystics. And sometimes when people are moved out of their comfort zone like that, um, they go up another level and I'm hoping that's what Laura will do. And having taken a step back from coaching last season, are you coming in with many fresh ideas or a change of approach? Have I come back with a refreshed approach? Yeah, I don't know. You have to ask the players that. I still, <laughs> still think I sound the same. But I think that to take a break and come back and be able to offer, you know, some new stuff to the team is always helpful for getting their thinking about different things as well. Um, I think that it's made me more 
fiercely competitive about what we want to achieve this year. And, um, yeah, we'll just see how we go. The coach of the Northern Mystics, Debbie Fuller. That's extra time for this week. You can send your feedback to sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Ben Robinson. Thanks for listening. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And... Don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.